Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. Living in a fallen world and having to deal with our own brokenness, we are always needing spiritual renewal. And that's the theme of the book of Ezra. After 70 years in captivity, it's time for the people of God to return home where the first priority will be the worship of God and the rebuilding of the temple. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ezra. Uh, Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father, as we look into a chapter of conflict um, where evil raises its ugly head against the work of God and God's people, we can so relate, Lord, and so help us to listen with our hearts, aided by the Holy Spirit, because uh, we need these invaluable insights, Lord, in our times of struggle and conflict, to be wise, to be aware, to be alert, and to walk according to your word and wisdom in Christ's name, amen. Well, it's been said, opportunity and opposition usually go hand in hand. We kind of get set up for some kind of wonderful accomplishment of some kind, some kind of advancement or achievement. And suddenly, as we're poised for success and we're just kind of seeing it all come together right before our very eyes, then opposition seems to arise and threaten everything, to, to, to ruin everything that we've worked so hard for and hoped and prayed about. It happens. And as it turns out, not everyone in the world are our cheerleaders and uh, happy for our would-be success, it seems. Now, along these lines, I remember back in the 94 Winter Olympics, you remember this woman, Nancy Kerrigan? Yeah, you do, because it is a story where truth is stranger than fiction. Let me refresh your memory. Nancy Kerrigan, a U.S. favorite in the figure skating competitions, and Nancy worked hard all her life, and her parents spent a lot of money on skating lessons, (laughs) I would think. (laughs) And all eyes are on her, and she was poised for the gold, and the day before the qualifying event, you'll recall, and she was expected to breeze through that, by the way, Nancy was out of nowhere, brutally attacked, clubbed in the shin with a police baton in an effort to debilitate her and break her leg. Turns out that her American teammate, by the way, by the name of Tanya, yes, fierce rival, competitor, nasty little rivalry going on. Uh, Tanya turned out to have put up her thug ex-husband to the evil, shocking, heinous deed of taking a club to break Nancy's leg to prevent her from taking first place. 
and winning the gold. But like any great story, Tanya loses and Nancy limps into victory. <laughs> Thank you for that picture. Now, in the kingdom of God, real similarities, such dynamics play out in our lives more often than we'd like. Now, when God's people are on the brink of some kind of accomplishment, the pieces are in place, the hard work's been done. I can't tell you how many times I, I will baptize somebody and I will see their lives take on all kinds of trouble. All kinds. And in fact, if I did baptize you, I may have whispered in your ear after the prayer and just said, watch out now. Just be sober, be alert. As 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, you have an enemy and he's not very happy that you stood up in front of everybody and said, I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. And you know the principalities out there that we cannot see don't take that lightly. So you've taken a step forward. They'd like you to take three steps back now. And that's kind of what we're going to see here tonight in chapter four of Ezra. Let me show you what I'm talking about. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, the two southern states of Israel, think of it that way, but only they're all related to each other if you're from Judah or Benjamin, when they heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to the governor now of the rebuild and named Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and we've been sacrificing to him since the time of Asarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the lead pastor in the project Rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commands us, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, all the way down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, that's not a whole lot of years because those guys change thrones pretty rapidly. Uh, but they, uh, through successors, uh, the conflict continued. And so we're going to take a look at this now. Now, tonight... The uh, sermon is brought to you, the three headings, of course, are brought to you by the letter S, all right? So the enemy's scheme, all right, there's your first one. And uh, we'll walk through and you'll get your last two, okay, because there'll be three points. So now you'll recall to bring you guys up to speed, the Jews have been exiled for some 70 years from the promised land. They had it coming. God promised to chastise them, and he did. He keeps those promises too. And he also promised to bring them back. So it's time. He said, after 70 years, you'll be coming back. Uh, you'll be ch chastened. You'll be better. You, you'll love me. 
you, you, you'll learn so much, it'll be a good thing. So you'll come back. And, and now we've been seeing that. Miraculously, the Lord stirred up the King Cyrus of all people. He calls him my shepherd, you know, this pagan king. And he assists the Jews and lifts the travel ban and lets them go back and even funds them, um, partially at least. And 50,000 of them, uh, and the children and grandchildren of those Jews who were exiled, returned back to the promised land. And chapters 1, 2, and 3 showed us kind of a little bit of the glory of how that happened. The foundation has been laid, and they've had such a glorious celebration of worship, holidays, Christmas music, if you will, you know, all kinds of dancing. And it said, we, we left off in chapter 3, and it said there was such a noise. It was heard for miles of celebration. Well, ironically... It was that partying noise, that joyful celebration that God had laid a foundation. God is, is on the move, as it, you know, in Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan was on the move, right? And so who caught wind of that? The enemies, and the enemies who were living in Judah and in Benjamin in that region. Now, that takes some explaining, right? So now the bad guys have, have heard that, that God is on the move and they were happy the way things were and they didn't want the Jews to come back now and get things going again. And so there's the change in the background music so that all of us know, uh-oh, something's gonna happen. You know, the bum, bum, bum. You want me to do that again? Well, I'm not gonna, because... That was a little much. Now, the enemies of the Jews living in these parts, they hear, and they're wasting no time throwing a wrench into the works. You know, that's what they want to do. Or a police baton. Or a disease, or a disorder, or a betrayal. The enemy has a whole bag full of things. He just like gets panicked when he sees the foundation is in. They're baptized. What have we been doing? We're letting them get away. And then we're letting them start little ministries and little churches and little home groups. And now they're stopping sinning and starting to go to church more often. I can see the demons elbowing each other. What are you doing? Come on, get busy with them. Get busy with them. And I see you're thinking about all of that, huh? Yeah, you might be a target because you are. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to, to devour somebody, especially those who are just getting all excited and trying to be dangerous. And that's exactly what's happening. The whole region's gonna, about to change. God's going to be enthroned again there. And so the enemy is a little bit concerned. So let's start with the enemy. Who are they? Now, for believers, there's always two layers. There's the, the layer you can see and the layer you can't see, and we'll identify both of them for you. So they identify themselves in their wicked proposal, their underhanded, nasty, deceitful, oh, we're just like you, and we want to help. Can we help too? Because we like you. We love the Lord. We sacrifice to him too. Ever since the 200 year history. Well, let me explain who they are. In 722, 200 years earlier, the king that they're talking about here did uh, invade and conquered northern Samaria. All right? 
took the Samaritans away, the true Samaritans, and then replaced them with the Syrians. And this is how they would do it. Divide and conquer by assimilating foreigners into that place so you would no longer have a unified vision, a unified race, a unified, unified religion. That's dangerous. That's hard to stop a country like that. So instead, you have diversity, not the kind of diversity that you have here in this church, because this is in Christ. It's a diversity that comes under and bows the knee to one purpose, one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But if you look in this place, you've got the most diverse people living and loving and walking through life shoulder to shoulder than you could ever have. We're not talking about that. The Assyrian king brought in people who were diverse but not unified. In fact, it was an impossible diversity because they all had gods. And they all uh, brought their shrines and their idols. And so, and, and, and I hate to say it, but our once great nation, it was pronounced by the previous president is no longer a Christian nation, no longer unified under Judeo-Christian ethics and morals. And what has happened is a diversity not of the good kind. The good kind is, is when everybody came and said, let's be Americans. We're all coming over here to accept the Judeo-Christian American culture way of life. And so there was massive diversity, massive love for those kinds of uh, foreigners, our parents, my grandparents, and many of yours. But that ended somewhere around 1920, and it stopped. And it wasn't allowed anymore until 1965. In 1965, it was open doors no matter what. You didn't have to come and love Amer the American way or the God way or the Bible way. You just come and, and, and set up shop here and we'll make laws to protect you and we'll diversify. Now, and he's right. We are no longer a Christian nation because the diversity has led to multiculturalism, which could be a wonderful thing. It's wonderful in this room. It's wonderful around the throne in heaven. In Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 7, you see people from every tribe, every tongue, every people group, every language praising the Lord. There's no problem with diversity. There's love for every human soul. But the king knows something, that if we come in and plant people with other diverse gods and values, you're going to have a country that is in confusion and unrest and can never be a threat to anybody. So that's what he did. And, uh, you know, I could show you the scripture of who they truly are. They're saying, oh, we're just like you. We sacrifice to the God, the Lord. Let me show you. <laughs> the king of it, this is in 2 Kings. This is who they really are because they're lying. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and all these other uh, regions and settled them in Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria. They're not Jews. They're foreigners. And they're worshiping other gods. They didn't worship the Lord, so the Lord allowed lions to come in and send a message. I'm not happy. All right? So it was reported to the king of Assyria. 
So the king of Assyria says, hey, okay, have one of those Jewish priests that you took captive from Samaria, go back and live there and teach them what that God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. They worshiped the Lord and their own gods as well. Now I'm protracting a, a few just for space uh, verses. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled in Samaria and they set them up as shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places, all wicked immorality, terrible. Each group worshiped their own gods and some burned their children in the fire as they're worshiping God, the Lord as well. They, and, but the bottom line was they neither worshiped the Lord nor adhered to the decrees of the regulations, even though they were saying we worship the Lord. So these people come in and say to them, hey, we want to help. We got some money, we got some time. We're just like you. You can put the, the original verses back. We're just like you. And so, listen, that's what the enemy does, you know? And, and who's behind the enemy that we see? Who is behind them? Who is always about blinding the eyes and keeping uh, people in happy unbelief or ignorance or tossing their kids into fires thinking they're appeasing God or blowing people up in the name of praising God? Stoking the fires of vain imaginations. Who's behind inspiring them to come against the Lord and his people? Well, it's his ancient rival, the devil, a once splendid creation, an archangel. Ezekiel 28, 15 says, you were so blameless in your ways on the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. And who knows what that entailed? The Bible also alludes that pride, he fell in love with himself. Because of his great beauty, he corrupted his own heart, falling in love with himself and became, went from Lucifer to the devil. That's a little scary, amen? Well, Ezekiel goes on to say he's, he just wanted God's job. He says in Ezekiel chapter 14, I will raise my throne. He had a throne, wasn't happy there. He wanted numero uno position, and so he went up there, and he's behind all of this. And so now there's been a 6,000-year process and, uh, of win it, God winnowing out his people from God's people, and that's what God has been doing now. And so here we see that um, until then, there's always going to be a conflict. And uh, I think the, a really good scripture for us is Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 through 12. I'm not sure that I sent it over or not. I did. A final word, be strong in the Lord, his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you're going to be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Yeah, we see the people. Yeah, we see the deceivers who come, the thugs who come, but behind the thugs. Behind the person who's slandering and gossiping it is an enemy greater than that person. And therefore, you have to be spiritually on guard, walking with Christ, because those powers are unseen rulers and authorities against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly 
realms. And so you have to uh, watch out for that. So, so Satan <laughs> sees what God is doing there in Jerusalem and he stirs up the thugs, the bad guys. And, and, and deceitful uh, effort number one is to say, we're going to help you. Now, before we move on and we have to immediately um, notice how sa- the, the satanic lie is spun. Always, always, always a lie from the devil will masquerade this way. Let me help you. This thing that I want you to do will help you. It will benefit you every single time. That's how he comes in. I mean, who's going to do something that ultimately blatantly tells you this will be the saddest, most painful thing that you've ever done? Uh, you, you generally, unless you have mental illness, uh, uh, you, you will generally avoid that, right? But it's the helpful thing. Let us help you. Unbelievable. And when she realized it would help her by making her wise, then she ate, Eve did. And instead of helping everybody out, she wreaked havoc on herself and everybody else. And so did Adam. Yeah. So they want to get in. Once you're on the board, once you're in the in-group, once you're on the committee, or once you get in, once Ananias and Sapphira gets in, that's why God had to be so harsh, because they got in. And there was only one church in town, by the way. I digress, but you know, you're used to this. There was only one church in town, one church in town in the world. And it was the one Ananias and Sapphira tried to corrupt, but they picked the wrong church at the wrong time to do their little misdeed. And they slipped in and God said, oh, no, no, no. We only got one of these right now. And so, yeah, he's always working to destroy God's work. So let's go on here. Um, All it takes to to avoid being duped, and they were not, is a little discernment. So you see in verse three, the leaders see the snakes in the grass, as it were. They see right through the lion. Why are they able to do that? Because they're men of God. They're walking with God. They're always in the congregation. They just came from a worship service. They go to church. They, they sit under the word. So when you sit under the word and you're in fellowship and, and you're around the Bible and you actually read once in a while a psalm or a proverb, uh, you are walking in the light and then you don't stumble because you're able to see. Jesus is the one who said, it's when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. John chapter 11 and verse 10. And so I love it. It says in the Hebrew uh, you have no part with us, but it says in the Hebrew, it is not for you and for us, literally. So in other words, when evil's in the air, just love this discernment. They smell something's not right. They're, they're, no, 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 of course not, right? So they just tactful, not a time for tactful diplomacy, not a time even to say, hey, let's pray about it. They just know right from the jump, this is wrong. I'm going to right now say, no, time to put my foot down and take a stand on what I know is right and true. No. Um, here's your answer. Uh, no. 
uh, absolutely, 100%, emphatically, unequivocally, no, not going to happen over our dead bodies kind of thing. And one writer said, how much more blessed would we all be with a zero tolerance for all so-called helpful compromises that come our way? And so, well, the, the, the devil doesn't take no for an answer, so time for the true colors to come out. And I've got written down here one of my favorite insights in the entire book, one of the, the most valuable pieces of wisdom right here that I have learned over the years. One pastor put it this way, Pastor Ross Ryman. When, when <laughs> I wrote this one, all right. When favor or service or partnership offered you in the name of goodwill and love, but something you just don't feel comfortable with causes you to decline and refuse their polite offer, the resulting fireworks of hostility and adverse reaction confirms the hunch you had that it was spot on. Any adverse responses betray their true motives were something other than the love for you, love for God, and what you're doing. Do you see what I'm saying? So many times you, you, you'll say, oh, I don't feel good about this. And you're like, no. And then there's an explosion. Oh, and God goes, see, I told you. I told you. Oh, my sister was just dating somebody and, and something exactly like that just happened. And it was just a, a, just a little nothing tester, just a little nothing tester. It was like, kaboom. And my sister said, praise the Lord. I got my answer. You know, she got her answer and we get our answers that way. And so they walked away as soon as they said no. They're like, okay, then we're going to kill you. <laughs> right. Okay, that's a good sign that they weren't telling the truth. <laughs> All right, so they exposed their, 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 their true agenda. All right. So the, the Santa's helpers turned out to be Satan's little elves after all. <laughs> All right, so uh, here's what they do. In verses four and five, it sums up uh, how they're gonna discourage them. All right, so the gloves come off, and uh, number one, the little helpers try to weaken them. All right, so it says discourage in the, in the Hebrew. It means to weaken their hands, all right, to frustrate them. And then secondly, to make them afraid, to intimidate them, to threaten them. If you keep doing this, you know what? You're not going to have a job. You're not going to have money. Uh, and then thirdly, we're going to litigate against you, which they end up doing. Uh, but we're going to hire lawyers. They did. It says in your text. They hire lawyers during King Cyrus's reign, sympathetic, you know, uh, who was sympathetic, and, and then uh, all the way through uh, the cycle of those kings, they keep doing that. So you know what? We're going to come up with zoning laws. We're going to come up with uh, building codes and inspections and increased uh, fees and ordinances and sound levels and Endangered Species Act. And we'll stop you. We'll make your life miserable. And how many of you can understand that? Say amen. Believe it or not, we're making progress, six through 10. 
So at the beginning of the king of Xerxes, now this is a new guy on the throne, these bad guys lodged an official accusation. They pressed charges against the people of God doing God's work, <laughs> who had legal rights to do it, verse 7. And in the days of Artaxerxes, who succeeded him, king of Persia, Bishlam, Mithridoth, Tabiel, and the rest of his associates, thank goodness he didn't list them all, <laughs> wrote a letter to Artaxerxes. The letter was written in Aramaic, which was the language of the world. <laughs> and in that... Uh, Aramaic script and in the Aramaic language. Rahum, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, <laughs> that's half his problem right there. <laughs> Shimshai, the secretary, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes the king as follows, verse 9. Rahum, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, the secretary, together with the rest of the associates, the judges and officials over the men of Tripolis, Persia, Erech, and Babylon, the Elamites of Susa, and the other people whom the great and honorable Ashurbanipal, wow, how did that happen? Someone, some mom was in a lot of pain. Deported and settled in the city of Samaria and elsewhere in the Trans-Euphrates area. Let's stop there. And I, I promised you another S, right? So uh, first we saw the scheme, the enemy schemes, and now the enemy slander. Well, you all know, you've been around. The, the devil's name, it means slander. So this is one tool in his bag that's very sharp and very present, and so he loves to lie about people, accuse people, gossip about people. And when we're never closer to Satan than when we're talking a smack about another person. When you're denigrating somebody, insulting someone, tearing somebody up, you and the devil are like besties because that's what his name means, Diablos. To Diablo someone is to rip them apart verbally. And so that's what they're going to do here, but only they're going to go uh, take it another step to libel, which is to put your lies into print and to press charges that way. So let's take a look at this. So here in this section, we just see in verse 5, opposition never stopped. And once the temple is finished, it's going to keep on going down to, the, to when they're trying to rebuild the city wall with Nehemiah and all of that. And just know this, that the, it is never going to stop until Jesus breaks through the clouds at Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19. And he will, by the splendor of his coming, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, destroy the Antichrist, the false prophet, whoever those two men are, those unfortunate, misguided souls, and their armies, and an unbelieving world. But until then, we have to struggle. And that's the point of this. It, it doesn't stop with one. It goes all the way through the rain. And guess what, folks? It's still going on today. Because God has been rebuilding Jerusalem for 2,500 years, and he wants Jerusalem to be the capital. 
And it's God's will that that happened. And don't even ask me to prove that because Jeremiah 3, at that time, speaking of the future, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord, where? In Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. This is the millennial kingdom. This is after Armageddon. This is where the capital is going to be. And for 2,500 years and longer, there's been a conflict because the foundation was laid and, it was down and the Jews were coming back and the devil's like, oh no, stop this somehow, right? And he is trying to stop it and he's trying to stop it today. And guess what? It's not working. Because the zeal of the Almighty is going to accomplish it. And he is. And by the way, he's going to accomplish it in your life because a foundation was laid in you. The foundation Christ Jesus when you believed. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says a foundation of God's building in you was laid there. And the enemy sees that and the enemy's coming after with all kinds of all kinds of crosses and losses and slander and opposition from your even from your own heart. But the zeal of the Almighty says it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit I'm gonna accomplish and finish to completion that which I started in you in Jerusalem. I'm gonna build my house there, and in your heart. I'm building my house there as well. And nothing in all creation is going to be able to stop that. There is no wisdom, no plan, no strategy that can prevail against the Lord our God. If you don't say amen. amen. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> you got to give a guy a break once in a while. Thank you. So verse 6, you see King Xerxes and then Artaxerxes taking the helm. And now there's a letter of lies, you know, composed, sent off a thousand miles off to southwest Iran. Uh, Iran, I should say, the correct way to pronounce that. That's where the palaces of the Persian kings, by the way, you can go and visit them, the ruins. The, the, the palace that this dude was living in, it's there, the ruins. You know why it's there? Because it it's really true. <laughs> the Bible is really true. And so you can go and check out these places. So the letter begins, we are the descendants. We're the entrusted ones who were put in charge to deal with this region and these Jews. All right? And so Ezra says, and so here's the letter. Go ahead and read it for yourself. I've got a copy for you. <laughs> copy, please. Thank you. To Artaxerxes, from your loyal, wonderful, honest, Okay, <laughs> servants, the men of the trans-Euphrates, the king should know that the Jews who came up to us from you, so there are ever-increasing um, ever flow of Jews still going through the years, every year going there, and that's what he's talking about, not just the originals who went. And he says, they keep coming. They're coming to us still. They want to rebuild that rebellious and wicked city, O king. They're restoring the walls. Get this, they're repairing the foundations. Furthermore, the king should know that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are restored, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid. And the royal revenues will suffer. 
Now, since we're under obligation to the palace and it's not proper for us to see the king dishonored, (laughs) we are sending this message to inform the king so that a search may be made in the archives of your predecessors. In these records, do the work, search it out. You're going to find that this city's rebellious, troublesome to kings and provinces, a place of rebellion from ancient times. This, that is why the city was destroyed. We informed the king that if the city's built and its walls are restored, you will be left with nothing in trans-Euphrates. Wow. What a bunch of lies. What a bunch of lies. Well, Rahab gives four reasons why the king must shut this work down. Uh, So number one, he says, Jerusalem has a jaded past. You might want to check into it. I'm telling you the truth. You can't trust these Jews. They'll turn on you in a heartbeat. Man, check out their history, man. And so they're wicked and rebellious. Now, here's the sad part. Thanks, mom and dad, by the way. These are the children and the grandchildren of the wicked, rebellious parents who did lose the promised land because they were what? Wicked and? Yeah, so uh, uh, number one lie is half true. It's still a lie because these folks who are there now have been chastened and chastised and these are not those same people and they're not, but there's a reputation there. And that's the problem when you have a past. And that's why the Bible says, don't bother creating a past because it won't be helpful because it'll be so hard to live that down. That is why Proverbs 22 and verse one says that a good name is better than a fortune of money and wealth. And so here, their past is working against them. Yeah, you can be forgiven. Yes, restored. Yes, a new foundation. And that's exactly what's happening. But when you have a past and you, you, you are responsible for that past, there's a lingering problem there. And the lingering problem is it undermines your own confidence and your credibility. So he, see, see, they gave the devil and the bad guys some ammunition. And that's New Testament all the way. He says, do not give your detractors any reason for their slandering you, but by your good life, by your integrity, by the way you live, by the way you live your private life. Pull the rug out from underneath those who oppose you by your stellar behavior, by your exemplary way of life. But see, he's got a foothold on him. Got a foothold. Why? Because they thought, you know, it's God's job to forgive. I could take a walk on the wild side. It'll be okay. You know, I'll just, you know, I'll confess my sins, God. No, 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 no. No. There's always... A price. There's a price. So don't bother doing it, young person. Don't bother going down that road. Don't bother creating a pass. Amen? Amen. It says number two, there's going to be loss of money. So, you know, the devil knows how to get to a guy. You know, first he says you can't trust him. 
And number two, you're going to lose money. Number three, he says, that's verse 13. He says, you're going to be disgraced. You're going to be humiliated. That's another thing with guys. Oh, that disgrace, to be disrespected. Oh, it's the worst, ladies. We can't, I mean, that would be like going and not finding shoes in the entire mall. (laughs) I don't know, probably worse than that. Verse four, remind me never to say that again, Dave. (laughs) Okay, number four. And if you rebuild, this is the fourth reason, you know, you're gonna lose all of the trans-Euphrates. Let me show you what he's suggesting, ladies and gentlemen. The first map, please. Here's the Euphrates. Here's where they are, right there. He says, here's where where Israel is. Here's where the king is receiving the letter. He's saying, listen, dude, you're going to lose all the trans-Euphrates is beyond trans, beyond the river. All right? So everything on this side, you're going to lose that because they... They're that way. Once they get started, they're going to take over the whole place. Now, oh, this is so interesting. Does he know something that nobody else knows that not even Christians know today? Did he get a scroll of Genesis? Is there a rumor about how big Israel's influence should be according to God in Genesis? Well, let me show you the map of what God says in Genesis, the boundaries of Israel. Take a good look at this. That's Bible boundaries of the nation of Israel. And they want them to give up more land than this little sliver that they have. So the enemy knows if you let them start building We happen to hear rumors that what they really think they're going to get in their prophecies is all of the trans-Euphrates, you see? And guess what? He's right. (laughs) You can go back to that page there. And so, yeah, okay, here we go. So the king sent a reply. Now, we're, we're done to the last S here. A, a, they're going to get some success. All right? So, two, yeah. All right, that's, yeah, the king sends a reply. Thank you. To Rahom, the commanding officer, Shimshai, and all the rest of you liars. Oh, I wish they would have said that. Living in Samaria. Greetings. This The letter you sent us has been read and translated in my presence. I issued an order and a search was made. And guess what? I found, it was found that this city, Jerusalem, has a long history of revolt against kings and has been a place of rebellion and sedition. Sedition is like, you know, mutiny, you know, just a coup d'etat kind of thing. Uh, Verse 20, Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole trans-Euphrates and taxes, tribute, and duty were paid to them. You're right. Now issue an order to these guys to stop working so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so orders. Oh, a little wiggle room. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interest? 23. 
3. As soon as the copy of the letter of the king was read to Rahim and Shimshai, the secretary and the associates, oh, come on, I just have to have some fun. They went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop. Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so with that, we made it through the chapter, and so to our third S, some success, sadly, temporary um, as it is, but it is some success. So the letter returns with the king's response to all the dudes there. He says, you're right, number one. He says, they are rebellious with a long history of revolt. Well, wow, right? Um, and yes, they threw off the Assyrians and the Babylonians in, seven, in the years 701 B.C., 597 B.C., 587 B.C. This is what they found when they searched the records. And then 2 Kings 18, verses 7 and 13 will tell you the story of that. So yeah, they didn't handle, the Jews don't like to be occupied. And so they broke the yoke of the Assyrians and the Babylonians uh, before they or broken themselves. And then that's strike one in his response. Strike two. Yes, indeed, powerful kings have reigned the trans-Euphrates. Well, actually, it was only Solomon. But they've recorded that because Solomon was the king of the world at one time. He, he owned that place. And yes, he, he was the wealthiest king that ever reigned. And they did pay taxes and tributes and all of that. You can read about that in First Kings. Solomon ruled that entire region, and so that's strike two. Yes, we know about Solomon. Check, you're right. And we know they're rebellious. We've got the dates right here. They threw off our yokes and all of that. And then thirdly, he says, you're right again, because if they continue to rebuild as Israel grows, as the work of God grows, well, we're going to have the threat grow as well. And there's rumors and prophecies about all of that. Strike three, shut them down. Now, here's the part that stings me in every story. When the enemies get what they wanted and they're so happy about it. Even though I know it's temporary and they're going to get their lumps, it's still hard for me to see them happy and get the letter, and they can't even get the words out fast enough to put the letter down before they're already finding Zerubbabel and Joshua and with such wicked glee to say in their face, you know, the king says, stop it now. And they, they bring in the horses and the batons and all of that. Just terrible. And so now there's a delay. They're shocked, dis disillusionment. They just came from a worship party. Do you know how many thousands and thousands of uh, dollars, as it were, has been raised, their lives? They came a, a nine-month journey, uh, 500 miles or so, their whole lives. And now what happened? God, where are you? Why'd you let this happen? Why is there a delay? And now you're going to, to be tested. And when the delay comes, and I'm closing here, and I want you to, to think in your hearts, 
when God doesn't show up when you expect it and you perceive it to be a delay because anything you think is a delay is a perceived delay because God, God is, how, how does it go? God is never late, seldom on time, snow. Seldom early, but always on time. I messed that one up. Can I get a redo? Come on. God is never late, seldom early, but always on time. And when you're like, God, 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 God. I mean, you said you were coming. You said you were coming. Where are you? Rosh Hashanah's over. You're supposed to come on a fall festival. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Or... You know, I'm supposed to get married. My biological clock is ticking. How about the kids? Hey, you, you promised I've been praying for this lost soul in my family, and you perceive a delay. And God's saying there's no such thing as delay. He's using delay. A, he's testing everybody. He's going to weed out that whole Jerusalem party that came over, and we're going to find out who's going to use the delay to draw close to God, to trust God, to continue to serve God, and who's going to use the delay to out themselves as bitter and unbelieving and going to isolate, and maybe they'll join the Samaritans because, you know, where was God when you really needed him? You know how much money I spent coming over here from Iraq? That's where they came from. And now look what God let happen. So God is in perceived delays, testing your heart, always. And you're only gonna go one way or the other. There's so many things he does with delays. He has to delay to let things get as impossible as he wants so that he can show his strength. You know, Lazarus is ready to die. And the girls are like, why'd you delay? And Jesus is saying, because he had to die so I could raise him from the dead. Oh, okay. Where were you? It's all of this time. And we always do things like that. He's building us with delays. I'm giving you a list here of why he's delaying things in your lives. Or so you think and I think. He's training you. He's got you at the gym. And, and when there's resistance, that's why you go to a gym. You go to a gym so that when you push, it doesn't just go... I mean, you don't do that. You have to. Most people don't. Uh, they, they, they take the little pin and they make it harder for the resistance because the more you press and the more times you do that and the greater the resistance, the more gain. And so delays come as resistance and you need to push back and push back. And a long delay with the right amount of reps you're going to become the man or the woman of God that, get, that you want to be and you keep praying for. So he says, okay, I'm going to let this delay happen. You're like, well, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I meant you just wave your magic wand over me and sprinkle something when I'm sleeping and I'll wake up more like Christ. Why can't you just follow my directions? Make it easy. Just make it in a pill form. <laughs> Character doesn't come that way. And so, yeah, there's some setbacks. And what about you? What about if he came here last year? What if he came the year before? Everybody said, where's the sign of his coming? Ever since our fathers died, 
Things go on. Every day's the same. Delay. And he says, he's coming quickly. Yeah, he's coming quickly. But you wouldn't have been in heaven had it been, what, five years ago, some of you? Ten years ago? What if he came 25 years ago? You'd be in the tribulation. So we need to stop thinking and realize without the delay where you'd actually be in the process. And that's what heaven's all about. You get to heaven, you're going to be like, wow. Whew. Thank you for not answering all of my prayers and not doing things when I said they needed to be done because you're going to get there and go, out was masterful, ingenious, and loving, and right. And so remember that because guess what? You've got an, a delay always. Now, and, and here's the deal, the spoiler alert as we close up. God comes through. Surprise. So all of that anxious tears and fears was a waste of time. He was in charge the whole time. He's in charge of your delay. No fears, no panic. No getting all crazy on him. Just trust him. No, I, I, I'm looking at somebody here who uh, had a hard time conceiving, and yet they conceived. But it wasn't to be a very, very painful, probably for the rest of their lives. There was a delay. But I'm looking at that person and the delay is no more. There's new life. There's new hope. And only God knows what went into that. Really, in some ways, the way we talked about it was the averting of a disaster that we didn't know about, perhaps. But now... Just a little pressing through, just a little waiting, just a little exercise of faith, a little trusting that God is good. Now there's joy. Now there's life. Now there's answers to yet another prayer. And the same will be true for you. You are not the exception to God's rule. You are included in all things are working together for your good Not because you're good, (laughs) but because he's good. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for these truths, and they're pretty profound and deep and mysterious in some ways, and yet so simple that a four-year-old can trust you and just say, God is good, and you are always on time. God, you're using things, Lord. Help us to roll with the punches, be flexible, God. And to leave room for you to work and get everything lined up perfectly. And then the fulfillment of your great promises. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. Sometimes it feels like I'm breathing.